0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 120. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics.
1: From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store.
0: Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern-age comics and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title. Looking for the good times.
2: Examining
1: the monkey song one by one. By Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold, a book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing
0: this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough?
1: Not at all, Mark. Our original book,
0: Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey songs one by one, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey's solo years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this.
1: Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the Solo Monkeys. Plus, another nifty cover by Scott
0: Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer.
1: Announcer? That's me. (coughs) Get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from baremannermedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today.
0: Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man and I have no news about the Warren Kremer book or the TTV scrapbook or the Disney book. I'm still working on my mad book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. Letters we get letters. Here's another comment about a recent episode from Barefoot Bears. They say, Spanky and our gang were great. Sunday will never be the same was my favorite song of theirs. What Spanky did with her voice in that song, Sunday will never be the same, with that sort of reverb in her voice was so great. Anyway, my son does rap music. I would love to hear Spanky do a collaboration with him where she raps a few words. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, love this interview, send spanking my love, and thank you for the great memories and for being a significant part of the songbook of my life. On today's show we feature a man who had a father and two uncles best known for their work on Looney Tunes, brought to us today by one of Jerry Beck's cartoon research columnists. Here they are, the returning Camden Spees, who has brought us his very special guest, Robert McKimson Jr. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and it's another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast, and here we are with episode 120. As it said, when we started, this meeting is being recorded. With me today, I have to my left, I have Camden Spees, who writes a column, and I always forget the name of it, uh, for Jerry Beck's Cartoon Research, so you can tell me what column that is again. Well... My name is Spies, but it's I guess people will
3: pronounce the Spies Report.
0: So, and it spies sounds better that way. Spies Report, Spies Report. Okay, and Camden Camden has been very gracious to bring us another guest today, and today we have, as you can see below me, Mister Robert McKimson Jr. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. and uh, for those who don't know, Robert McKimson Jr. His father. Uh, animated on a lot and directed a lot of the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons and he also had two famous uncles that worked for the studio and Dell and Gold Key Comics and he's also written a book which we both have called oh you got a drawing I say say uh here but a drawing Camden has there so (laughs) Uh,
3: so I told you about this Bob when I interviewed you this is signed by Charles McKimskin and it's completely faded and ruined. Tom McKimskin signed it too. Because for some reason he signed it with a highlighter and it just faded out. Aww. I well, didn't even, when I bought it, when I bought it, this was the first animation cell I got and I didn't even know it was signed by Tom McKimskin until I looked it closely.
1: I'm like, oh wait, there's a hidden signature under here. Now did that? You know, we used to do a lot of shows. And uh, the uncles would sign those and each of them had their different uh, instruments to sign with. And I know some of them faded with age.
0: Hmm, That's too bad. I don't know if there's a way to get that restored because I think once it goes, it's gone. I don't know.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know. I couldn't like, when I first bought it, it was already faded basically.
0: (laughs) So I have a few questions that uh, I prepared of course. And, uh, um, But uh, wanted to, let's see, what's probably the best thing to ask? I mean, it's like, uh, probably tell us a little bit about yourself, Robert, and how it was being the son and the nephew of these people. And I do have to ask now right at the front, do you have any artistic talent yourself?
1: I've got absolutely zero. I am a businessman. I was in corporate America in banking for a number of years, before I started my own company in 1991 as a licensee for Warner Brothers. And my two uncles worked with me at that time. And of course, we were publicizing the works by my father and later publicizing the works uh, of my uncles. So that is the extent of my artistic ability, which is zero.
0: Wow. (laughs) Um, I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing because, I mean, you have the the business abilities, so you can market these great works of art that were Absolutely. all done. Right? i
3: noticed that all of a lot of them, like Ruth Clampett and um, Linda Jones, who i both interviewed also, they'll also say they have no artistic talent, but they did the same thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: Interesting. <laughs> so um, the other inevitable question is before you became a businessman for all of them, mm-hmm. obviously you grew up with your father and probably were around your uncles. Absolutely. What was that? What was that like uh, in your childhood?
1: Well, we grew up again. Let's go back to the '50s in, in Beverly Hills, and in those days, everybody in Beverly Hills was connected to the movies, generally speaking, in one form or another. So you took it for granted that your father and your uncles were with the movie studio, <laughs> and it really wasn't that meaningful. In those days, because everybody did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, uh, my father was immensely talented, as was my uncles. And my father had his own studio at home. And he would do a lot of work at home, especially for my uncles, who were doing comic books and coloring books. So it was, you know, again, you just took it for granted. That's what he did. And he didn't talk too much about it. He never lauded himself at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Did he ever uh, take you to the studios or anything like that?
1: Oh, um, yes. To- I was at both studios. I was at the Van Ness studio and I was at the studio on the main lot several times. Mm-hmm. So he would take me over there quite often. If he worked at night, I would go over with him and just kind of sit there and watch him draw. And I was in jam sessions and I was in, I watched the anchors and the painters and all of that. But again, you just, okay, that's what what people do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, even though you claim that you don't have any of the artistic ability, I mean, did you at least try at some point saying, hmm, I can do this, and then you go, oh, maybe I can't.
1: (laughs) Well, when I was in uh, school, I took some art classes, and I brought the art home to show it to my father. (laughs) He said, forget it.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Thanks, Pop! (laughs) And then you put the bag over the head like Sylvester (laughs) Junior.
1: I figured i better find something else to do.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, This might be... uh, Well, you could say anything because you're not offending anybody. Of the three, which do you think was the best artist?
1: Well, each of them... Well, my father was a fabulous artist, animation artist especially. And my uncle Chuck took after him because uh, Chuck spent many years uh, working with my father as an animator from uh, 46 through 53. So Chuck drew almost exactly like my father, whereas Tom uh, was with comic books most of his career. And so all of his characters are uh, stylized, shall we say. So each of them had their own particular talent, Uh, especially Tom stylized everything. And as I say, uh, each had talents and could do almost anything, artistic. Mm -hmm. And
0: um, just because the other two did go into comic books, did Robert go into comic books at all or uh, he stayed away? I know he did. uh, uh, Like I have a Warner Brothers record that my dad actually got as a kid. It's a bu- yeah, funny record reader. He, did, he yeah. did a bunch
3: of those. He yeah, the, yeah. Tortoise the and, and the Air One, he did
0: the... <laughs> yeah, so he, did, uh, did he draw those himself or did he have assistants or how did those
1: work? No, he did those himself. He did those at home. Oh. And huh. He never went into comic books. That's a specialized field, again, where they stylize the characters. My father did not style his right. characters. He drew them on model. Uh... So uh, he never went near that. But he did, he do, he would do some coloring books for Tom, which again, they would stay on model on those particular things. Right. Didn't,
3: didn't you tell me, Bob, didn't you once tell me that one of the reasons your dad did not go into comics was because he didn't like that they had a totally different set of model sheets for the characters? Uh,
1: I don't recall that, but that would have been true. He <laughs> always drew on model and uh, he didn't stylize the characters at all
0: right well didn't robert design a lot of the model sheets himself? so it'd be kind of yeah, immense, absolutely immense if other people were changing them on him
1: <laughs> yeah he uh, obviously uh, did bugs bunny and uh tasmanian devil the original speedy gonzalez sylvester jr etc etc he uh, did many many characters mm-hmm.
0: now did did you ever uh uh, give him any sort of ideas or anything growing up and saying hey, I you know, I really like this character Can they have can you have him do this? Let's say just uh, to throw an idea out there and you take it to the staff or did you say no no son go back to your schoolwork or whatever?
1: Let's put it this way. He didn't ask me. Oh, okay. If he didn't ask you you don't tell him Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I've right,
3: got you, something I should we should point out before yeah. we get out of Robert's childhood. Yeah because this will bring in one of the animation stories. Robert, you told me that you lived close to Jack Benny.
1: Yeah, actually, I am reading a a biography of Jack Benny right now. Uh, We lived on the 200 block South Roxbury, and Jack Benny lived at the 1000 block North Roxbury. So we (laughs) lived approximately 10, 11 blocks apart. We lived in the poor section of Beverly Hills and they lived in the rich section. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is that how that uh, one episode, uh, how what, you would know the title, Camden, is the one with the Jack Mouse Benny in Jack. it? We yeah, the Mouse that Jack built. Is Mouse that how that came about?
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, apparently, my father was, he did three cartoons called the Honey Mousers based right. upon the Gleason characters. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Jack Benny had either found out or seen one of them, went to Jack Warner and he said, I want a cartoon made of my characters and we'll we'll do the voices. So that's how it came about. And since my father had already done similar cartoons, he was the one chosen to do it. Uh As a matter of fact, in my office, I've got a picture of my father with Jack Benny and uh, the cast. Mm And he actually, funny enough, uh, apparently they did the recording sessions at the studio. Apparently, they had to do a re-recording, and Mary Livingston refused to go back to the studio. So they did the final recording at Jack Benny's house, 11 blocks from us. Uh, Again, my father had told me about that.
0: (laughs) Now, the little live action bit at the end, is that really at Jack Benny's house then?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm quite sure it was.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I kind of figured it was, but I've never researched it. It just looked like it was at his house. It wasn't a set or something like that.
3: I have a theory, though, that my theory is that I imagine you, it would make sense, though, that he probably would go to – I would. I bet that he went to – do you think that he went to Jack Warner or do you think he went to Selzer? Because he had connections at Warner Brothers. He could have gotten to easier. You could have asked Mel Blanc, and Mel Blanc would have said to go to Selzer.
1: I I assumed he went to uh, Jack Warner uh, because of his stature. Uh, Jack Benny was the the person in those particular days with his radio and TV shows. So I'm quite sure, as I understood, he went to uh, Jack Warner. That's
0: interesting Jack, yeah.
3: Jack Benny probably knew more about Warner Brothers' characters than Jack Warner did. Oh, I'm quite <laughs> sure he did.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. That's interesting because I never really thought about it, but I always thought Mel Blanc probably instigated it all, but apparently not, you know, but at least they had him under contract already. So it was easy to get him to do the Maxwell and everything else. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the various characters uh, that your dad created, uh, like Speedy Gonzalez or Foghorn Leghorn or Tasmanian devil or Hippy hopper or even cool cat. <laughs> um, did he ever hey. talk about did what? I predict- want to find
3: something out that you, you told me, Robert, your dad did not create Cool Cat. He did not? Oh.
1: No, I don't think he did, no. Okay.
3: Because you told me that your dad's your dad had nothing to do with that character. He was just sending to direct those. Hmm.
1: I think yeah. he, uh, look, hang on here one second. <laughs> uh. Yeah, he did two cartoons with Cool Cat. Ah. Uh, I don't think that was his character.
0: Oh, okay. See, my thought was, and this is just me thinking about it, not knowing, is it looks design-wise derivative of the Pink Panther, and he was working for DePatty Freeling, and I figured, you know, there's probably some connection there, but I guess not. So learning things, hey. (laughs) You
3: you told me, Robert, when they were doing those and those Daffy Speedy cartoons, you told me that those were like a studio-driven thing. And like you know, when even when your dad would try to be funny, they would even hold down gags because they'd be too expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, they uh, <laughs> see how to respond to that. Uh, in, in those days, you know, they would only utilize uh, Speedy Gonzalez and Daffy Duck, and they weren't utilizing the other characters at that point uh and they were utilizing these new characters. By the way, I under I think my father had come back to the studio at the very end and I think it was Alex Lovey who was there who le- left. I forget who the director was. Yeah. And I think they might have created Cool Cat and he just finished off everything and then mm-hmm. they closed the studio. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess my initial question is, we'll skip over Cool Cat, but those other characters, Foghorn, Tasmania, and Hippity Hopper, did was there a big process involved with creating a new character for Looney Tunes, to your knowledge, or did they just kind of say, oh, we need a rooster here that's bombastic, let's kind of throw him in there. Oh, we need a, 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 a character that's a new adversary for Bugs Bunny, let's throw him in there, and there was no real aggressive thought. And then it hit and they said, Oh, let's do more of these. Is that kind of how it worked?
1: Well, I'll take Tasmanian devil because my uncle Chuck, was uh, he was there when they did that. My father was looking for a new character and he didn't want to use mice, caps, whatever. So for what, he was a great, uh, crossword puzzle fanatic. (laughs) And so he suggested to his unit, why don't we do a Tasmanian devil? Of course, nobody had ever heard of a Tasmanian devil. So he said, each of you, including my uncle Chuck, draw me a caricature of a Tasmanian devil. (laughs) And Chuck told me that they all looked fairly similar to the one my father had drawn. So my father took what they had done and what he had done and made the character and it was just, to have something different rather than, as I say, the mice, ducks, whatever had already been used. And then, as you know, uh, they made one cartoon, and Eddie Seltzer didn't like the character, told him not to do it anymore, but there was such an outcry that apparently Jack Warner heard about it, and they made four more cartoons. So there was only five Tasmanian Devil cartoons made.
0: Right, at least back then. I know. Long time later, there was a series and everything. But yeah. Talk
1: about his classic cartoons.
0: Right, right, right. But you know, the thing is, those five cartoons were successful and remembered yeah, fondly enough to make a series later, which is kind of a mirac- miraculous thing in a way. It's interesting
3: that he, Marvin the Martian, and then you could say also Michigan J. Frog in some ways too, are considered the major Warner Brothers characters in yeah.
1: merchandising. They are rather than Bugs Bunny.
3: No, but I mean I mean no, including Bugs Bunny. Obviously oh. the major character at the studio, Bugs Bunny, Sylvester Tweedy, um, but Pepe Le Pew, Foghorn Leghorn. But then the other characters like Taz and Marvin the Martian, they in in terms of merchandising and modern stance, they're also part of the major cat even though they were only in five. Or yeah. I think in Marvin's case he was in four.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, I know they're very, very heavily uh, used in advertising and clothing and whatever else. Uh, even though, as a say, there's just five of them made. Yeah, and <laughs> my father did them.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I, I wonder if he would have ever envisioned that. You know, had he lived longer, you know, it's like it would have been such a, a belated success in a certain way. Because I remember seeing him originally. Um, on TV in the early 70s and it's like, you know, people liked them, but it wasn't like, it, that was probably about the beginning of where it started gaining momentum of, you know, this is a really successful character now. Well, Mark, I one. think
3: unlike Marvin the Martian, like if yeah. people would compare those two successes, Marvin the Martian's success didn't come out till much later. Yeah. But Taz was like, you know, he was used on the Bugs Bunny show and he was used on like, they used him, and they put merchandising on him or something. Like, I think, I'm sure you have that, too, that Tasmanian Devil, that one-issue comic book where yeah. He's, got, yeah, he's got Bugs, Tweety, and Daffy in the side of a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and
0: they did try to merchandise him in the 70s. They had a Pepsi glass, I remember. They're broken the dishwasher. They mind it, too. <laughs> um. So I'm just going to jump around because I have different questions, but it's like, you know, I, I realized, oh, I just wrote a bunch of questions. I didn't try to formalize it. So <laughs> mo- most of these are going to be about your dad. And then we'll talk about uh, we'll go around Bob and uh, I mean, Tom and uh, Chuck. Um, mm-hmm. But so why did your dad get the job of defining Bugs's look? I read that 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 was his job at one point. Did they think he was a better artist or he had the time? What was the reason?
1: Uh, From what I understand, uh, he was what was called the lead animator. And he would go around and critique other animators in the studio if need be. So he was considered the top animator. And this is, again, what I've read and what I've heard. He didn't tell me anything like that. It's not his style. But I think... And he was very close to uh, Tex Avery. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why he was given the job to uh, draw the model sheet on bugs or refine the model sheet on bugs and finally draw the definitive image in 43.
3: Right, right. Because what I noticed was, sorry to interrupt, what I noticed was like people, like if you read um, Michael Barrier's thing where he comments on the two model sheets between Bob Gibbons. Bob Gibbons looks like a wild hare, but anything after that, like you know, hair beats, tortoise beats hair, everything after that, that looks like the McKimskin model sheet.
1: Let me read some, I think you probably read this in my book. Uh, in a 1979 letter to Michael Barrier, oh you got it, Avery himself said he hadn't used Gibbons model sheet for a wild hair at all but instead used a rough draft by Gibbons that Bob McKimson had refined.
3: It's my signed version.
0: Yay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Good.
0: <laughs> That's very cool. So um, do you think that that uh, model sheet or anything else had anything to do besides Frank Tashlin leaving so that your dad became one of the directors? Or what happened there?
1: Well, as I understand it, when Tashlin left, uh, my father went down to Eddie Seltzer and said, "I want to take his place." And apparently, Seltzer said, "Oh, I heard you didn't want to be a director." <laughs> my father said, "Nuts! I want the job." <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, because that was, you know, I was wondering if he sought that out because it seemed arguably that he was content just being an animator for the longest wasn't time. Wasn't he like? Wasn't he offered the job and then he gave it to Chuck? First, yeah that's why i thought that
1: yeah job i believe late 30s probably early 40s whenever it was and uh he wanted to refine his skill he was a skilled artist in every form i've got two paintings in my house and several other fine art pieces that he did Mm -hmm. so he was very concerned to be the best artist
0: right and then um you know then there were times, everybody always thinks that Looney Tunes, they made them for 40 years, no problems. But there's a lot of ups and downs. And like in 1953, there was like a, a major layoff. And it seemed like when they got everyone back at 54. Wasn't, uh, that, a
1: 3D prison, thing? Wasn't
3: that the 3D thing? Where they, where they fired yeah,
1: everyone so they could prepare it was a, for the 3D? No, well, it's a 3D deal. They thought 3D was going to be it. So they closed the studio for about six months. Oh, and okay. right. My uncle, amongst others, did not come back. Mm-hmm. And which and
3: if you look at those cartoons, Jerry Beck pointed out, those cartoons with that yours, those Bugs Bunny cartoons, they all could have worked as 3D. They they seem the they seem built to where they could look 3D. I think I think I know besides McKimskin, one of them was like Beanstalk Bunny, I think, was one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I've never heard anything like that, so I can't comment. In fact, in fact, I used to think
0: that was one of the 3D ones. They, with the, I think the only one was like Lumberjack Rabbit, I think was
3: the only 3D one.
0: That, that was the only, you know, Warner Brothers 3D one, yeah. Yeah, they
3: had, because yes. 3D cartoons didn't last long, and it was only like the intro, and that was the
0: only one. Hmm. Yeah, Um. but what I've read is after that, in 54, when they started resembling their old teams, is Frizz and Chuck, seemed to get their old teams pretty much back and even picked a couple off of Bob's team. And uh, Bob was kind of left in the lurch. Although I'm one of the minority, I still think Bob McKimson still made some great cartoons after that. You know, I, in fact, I want to just say I did a blog posting uh, 10 years ago saying how much I love Bob McKimson, and this was before your book came out. I said, I should write a book about this, you know, and then, I'm glad you did. <laughs> but I put a whole listing of all the cartoons and I put a little asterisks by the ones I thought were my favorites, and I had ones all the way through, and including all the Tasmanian Devil ones, so there you go. <laughs> but
3: I think that the reason that Bob McKimpson gets a bum steer is because of, he got stuck. He got stuck. A lot of his career was got stuck when those budget issues came out. Mm-hmm.
0: You think that's I true? I
1: have a listing right here of all my father's 175 cartoons. Wow. <laughs> this is an um, office dedicated to the family.
0: So when, when, you know, when he was resembling his uh, step, why did he have more difficulty doing it? Was he just not that assertive or it just was the luck of the draw?
1: There's a lot of. Well, at any rate, uh, he was more laid back. Let's put it that way okay. than others, and uh, he had to fight to uh, get what he wanted, should we say?
0: <laughs> right. But like I said, you know, he's still, you know, he got as far as I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. He got some good animators later. Like yeah. Warren Batchelder and Tom Ray and things like right. that, you know, that actually worked with him all the way through to Patty Freeling and everything. So um, there was some good out- that came out of it, I thought. But
3: anyway. Now, um, hey, Bill Melendez, did he leave or was he, did he stay? Pardon? Was Bill Melendez one of the artists that left? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Mark, was Bill Melendez one of the artists that left at this time or did he leave a little earlier? Bill Melendez.
1: I, I don't know when he left. He worked for my father yeah. for a while and I he probably was gone by then. yeah
0: I, I think he did leave actually because I interviewed Bill once in uh, regards to UPA and for uh, John Sutherland Productions
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, uh, why is it saying that? Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway Oof. Anyway, it just told me that we have 10 minutes left. Well, if it does cancel, we'll keep going. I shouldn't have had that happen. This is so weird. But um, uh, I'll cut this part out anyway. So <laughs> let me do one thing here while we're up here. So I don't know why it's doing that because I have unlimited time. It should not be doing that for me. Um, Anyway, we'll keep talking. If it cuts off, we'll start over again. OK? So all right. Uh, so my question again was, um, what was my question?
2: Uh,
0: I can't remember. Help me. Help me, to What did I say last? Um, um, we're talking
3: about you had a list. Um, you had a list of your favorite McKimskin cartoons.
0: Well, I did say that. I, I mean I could say uh oh, one thing uh is McKimson had this uh strange ability to be the last director every time there was a changeover. And right. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Yeah. So uh he did the last cartoon the original studio worked on, which was False Hair. Yes. And then he did the last one that the Patty Freeling worked on Looney Tune, Taste of Catnip, mm-hmm. and then he did the last one number 1,000 of all the Looney Tunes after Warner Brothers engine trouble with Cool Cat. Uh, was that just a, a, a fortunate spot or did he want to see things wrapped up nicely?
1: He he was the longest continual employee of Warner Brothers. And he was just one of them that kept staying around. And he was always there. And they always kept coming back for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just had that staying ability. He he liked Warner Brothers cartoons, even though they were going downhill after a while obviously and he knew it and everybody knew it
0: right just- and did he ever have any aspirations? I think you kind of answered this, but did you have a did he have any aspirations of starting his own studio ever i mean or was he more content to work with frizz at the patty Freeling
1: well, he may have but my mother passed away in sixty three and that kind of did it to him for any particular aspirations he might have had. So he was just content working for other people at that point.
0: Very cool. Okay. And um I don't know how to ask this, so I'll just ask it. I mean, it's like, obviously, uh he... Had a clean bill of health near the end of his life in 1977. They said, "Oh, you'll live till 90," and he apparently bragged about, "Oh, uh, I'll live all of you guys." And then he had what was it? A heart attack at a restaurant and with frizz. At yeah, lunch? Uh
1: my father smoked about 5,000 cigarettes a day forever, and that's all I remember. His him smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Well. smoke enough of them, generally they're going to kill you. But funny enough, his father lived to be 101, Mm. Tom lived to be 91, and Chuck lived to be 84, 85. And father should have, but smoking killed him. Mm. Uh, And doctors in those days weren't as concerned about the, the effects of smoking, of course, as people are today. So that's really what killed him with smoking,
2: hmm.
1: because he had emphysema, and he could hardly climb a set of stairs.
0: So he already had that diagnosis prior to his oh, death. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, I remember okay. it very, very well. Very, very
0: well. Okay. Because, see, uh, I have to show you a book I did that you may not be aware of, but see, I did a book called Think Pink, the Patty Freeling story. Oh, really? And I wish I had the opportunity to interview you then, but I didn't know you. And so... Uh, Camden mentioned Michael Barrier, and he's like the only person that interviewed your father of all the people that no. you know.
1: And I've got a copy of the original interview right here in my drawer.
0: Okay, so you know I'm interviewing Artley and Artie. I'm interviewing a ton of different people that worked with him, just getting their opinions. And not one of them said that he smoked a lot or emphysema. I don't know if it was that they didn't know or just out of respect, but it's like. That kind of sheds a little bit of a different light on it, so.
1: Uh, Art Leonardi, you know, uh, you probably heard the story about Art Leonardi, my father. My father got Art Leonardi into Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and Art Leonardi was a big fan of my father, and, uh, and I've talked to him several times, and this is the, he was war- apparently at uh, to Patty the Patty Freeling on the day my father passed away, my, uh, Art asked my father to do a drawing, which he did. And Art said, well, would you sign it? And he said, I'll sign it when I get back from lunch. (laughs) Ask Leah, if you ever talked to Art, ask him. He's got several stories about my father. They hold together quite a bit. Yeah.
0: That story is in the book. So yeah, I did put that story in. I, Uh I assume it's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Yeah, yeah. And, um, so just kind of curious about that. My theory, and I put it in my book, is after your dad passed away, it it really hit Frizz hard, you know, harder than they really talk about because it seemed like his interest in continuing to Patty Freeling kind of ended when your dad passed away. And um, I speculate that that's why he just kind of left, went out of there and let the superheroes and stanley take over in marvel uh do you think that's a fair assessment that-
1: i would say so because you know there was a three directors freeling jones and my father and my father was you know fairly close to uh freeling so i could understand that feeling very well and they were somewhat the same age uh, group so i have a
3: theory though that I'm, i have a theory though that i fear theor- i have a theory that i just thought that i thought of a while back before doing this a few days ago before doing this that i bet when they went frizz when when mckinston was working with with um Freeling, i bet jones because i know jones had a lot of respect for your dad too i bet that they were competing for him
1: could be could be mm-hmm. uh I don't because know for Jones
3: forever. had people coming and going from his studio because they kept losing because they kept because like when they did you know the you know the King Arthur's and Rabbit and the King Arthur's court, Mark? Mm-hmm. The, yeah when they did that, the guys would leave after that and wait for the next project and go to Hanna Barbera and then come back. So we right. needed new artists because the people would stay there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My father always gravitated back to Frizz. He would go here and go there after Warren Bros, but he always gravitated back there and it was a comfort zone for him, I believe.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Which Mark, you commented
3: about and I which I by the way I just kind of comment, Mark, you did those Blu-rays for those Patty Freeland Blu-rays. Yeah. And you did great audio commentaries on those. Even the ones that you, that are just tiresome after at some point. <laughs>
0: yeah it was it was difficult sometimes to say something nice i'll put it that way (laughs)
3: yeah yeah but i mean what you point i think one of you guys pointed out on one of them i think i remember and this just popped in my mind was that you know the patty freeland was kind of going a shorthand and then like McKimskin was kind of like a like like mckimpson's cartoons kind of really stood out as the better of them during that period
0: um yeah, um, that Greg Ford was the one that was that hired me to do all those commentaries. And when we rewatched all the Petty Freeling shorts, um, obviously there's some good ones by Frizz, some good ones by Holly Pratt. But we were re- uh, remarking on how good some of the latter day McKimson ones were, and we didn't notice that when we were younger because you don't usually watch them chronologically.
1: You know? no. <laughs> so that would make sense. He 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 was a uh, you know. He respected the art and he did the best work he could under the circumstances he had to work. Uh, so he didn't fluff, he didn't fluff things, shall we say. He would do it on model and he would do it right. Because
3: what I remember you pointing out though, Mark, is that is that you said something and this, I would not have remembered this five minutes ago, it just popped in my head. Okay. Mm-hmm. but um, you pointed out that you said that you, th- you thought that Freeling gave McKimskin more freeway with budget because they were running out of budget, so they were doing stuff overseas, and all of his, McKimskins cartoons were much f- more fuller animation than the other ones. Yeah.
0: I think no. you totally respected him and gave him that leeway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would make sense.
3: So, Bob, one of the things that I mentioned with you that I found fascinating is I mentioned, we mentioned, and we've talked about this, um, so your dad did a few cartoons with Sheldon Leonard as mm-hmm. a voice. And you yes. told me that you went to high school with Sheldon Leonard's daughter.
1: Yeah, it was odd. I went to school with her. Her name was Andrea Burchett, and I have no idea. You know, you go to school with these people. And I was at the 50th anniversary of Beverly Hills High School. She comes up to me. She said, oh, my father did voiceovers for you. I said I don't recall any Burchette. She said no, that was his real name. His stage name was Sheldon Leonard.
0: <laughs> wow! Uh, which cartoons were these? He did those Dodsworth cartoons. And by the way,
3: quick fact though, that must have stuck out because Sheldon Leonard is um is was did after those cartoons, that must was where. Either Mel Blank must have connected because Mel Blank and Sheldon Leonard say those Dodsworths. You know the Dodsworths and the little cat, yeah. like the fat, like you know, like a fatter version of Sylvester with like a Brooklyn accent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that must have stuck out because Mel Blank and Sheldon Leonard were very good friends. In fact, Noel Blank told me on the phone that his first job was doing the very first season of the Dick Van Dyke Show as a as as a handyman.
1: Oh, interesting.
3: And then um, also when Mel Blank did classes, Sheldon Leonard taught when he did his advertising school. Hmm.
1: See, all of us were in the same age group, all of the children, Noel Blank, myself, uh, Andrea Bershad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Linda Jones, uh, Freeling, uh, not Hope, but uh, Sybil Freeling, we're all in the same age group.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. Did you know them all back then? I guess because
1: I I knew them but didn't know them. You know, we would see each other at uh, especially at the showings of the uh, Academy Awards movies. Uh, they had a theater then on Melrose. Are you from L.A. by the way?
0: I've lived there before, but I'm actually from Northern California. Oh, are you okay. And now anyway, I'm in Oregon. There
1: was an Academy Theater at Melrose Avenue who we used to go over to, and I would see Linda Jones there, or Sybil Freeling, or uh, a lot of them. So it was just passing, should we say. I think,
3: but I think I think I do know that Ruth is, and I think Chris, um, Chris Tashland is also a little bit younger as well.
1: Oh, really? I didn't meet Ruth until, God, 1991, maybe before that. Because hmm. hmm. she's <laughs> younger than us. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> Okay, I would, uh, next I want to talk about Tom because, you know, I just have various questions. So I read that uh, he worked on Art Davis's cartoons and then Bob Clampett's. Is that correct?
1: I don't think he worked – I no, I don't think he worked on uh, Davis. He left in 47. Okay. He worked with Bob – he worked with Tex Avery and then Bob Clampett. Okay, all right. And he and, left – uh, and as I say in 47, I don't he, I didn't think he worked for Dave. Didn't Tom help
3: design Tweety? Am I right about yeah, that? That was my next question.
1: As, as a matter of fact, Tom is listed in the Library of Congress as artist for Tweety.
2: Hmm.
1: He uh, Bob Clamp had asked him to do the model sheet, which he did, and he is so credited.
0: Hmm. Now we're talking the original Tweety where it's yeah, like no, pink and naked.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, correct. And Tom, Tom told me the story about it many times that uh, originally the bird was pink and it had no feathers. And uh, they, the uh, the uh, Hayes uh, office. Yes, Hayes, thank you. Oh, for the Hayes office said you can't have a naked <laughs> bird, so they had to put feathers on him. Wow. <laughs> so
0: he, But Tom didn't have anything to do with uh, coloring them yellow later on, did he? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. He, he redesigned him? Oh, okay. So, yeah. All right. Very cool. And um, now here's one thing that's actually about Tom and Charles, and I want to just kind of clarify. It's not a Warner Brothers thing, but it does have to do with comic books or comic strips. Yeah. Uh, it says that both of them worked on the Roy Rogers Daily Comic Strip. Is that
1: correct? As far as I know, that is correct. Uh, uh, Tom was good friends with Roy Rogers because they were Masonic buddies, as was Gene Autry, because he did Gene Autry comic books, too. Okay. And they were all big-time Masonic people.
0: Okay. And then uh, I read that uh, they worked with Pete Alvarado, who did a zillion comic books himself, and uh, billed themselves as Al McKinson as kind of a combination. Correct. Okay, uh, that was okay. the
1: Bugs Bunny in the newspaper.
0: Got it. was it. called
1: okay. Al McKimson.
0: and of course, that confused me when I was younger. I said, "Is there yet another McKimson? Oh, I
1: know. Else. So was, I kept asking my father about it. And he he <laughs> told me the story. Yeah, it's my twin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did they work? Um, well, we'll stick with Tom right now. Did uh, Tom? Tom became eventually the art director and. Uh, did he work that role both at Dell and then later at Gold Key for Western? Is that what it was?
1: Yes. He was art director for comic books, coloring books, and all of that. And I think if I'm not mistaken, when Chuck came there in 53, Chuck took over comic books and was art director for comic books and Tom did everything else. Okay. That, I believe that's how it happened.
0: Okay. And then did he we're still trying to stay with Tom for the moment uh, did he uh, uh, do artwork for all the Looney Tunes related titles or just a few of them I mean like bugs or something like that
1: you mean
0: uh... well I, I know he besides being art director he actually drew some of the stories so did he draw oh. stories for all the titles that were related to Looney Tunes or just occasional characters I
1: believe he did uh, uh we uh, when he left in uh hang on here
0: i think it was 72 is when he left also
1: did he do titles outside of the warner brothers characters i believe he did hang on uh, <laughs> uh, uh yeah he left in uh 72 but he's came back in 73 on a freelance to do all of the Warner Brothers comic books. He actually did the roughs on them and uh, all the storylines and everything. As a matter of fact, we are going to start marketing those. His son, who is a business partner of mine and uh, Cricket Gallery out of Atlanta, we are going to be marketing all of his original comic book art uh, from the 70s and early 80s. Mm,
0: okay. And then did he uh, end his career at that time at, when, uh, I guess it was Whitman by that point with Western Publishing, uh, or did he do any comic book work later for DC or anything like that? No, no, he
1: didn't do anything more. Okay. And he kind of retired until he came with me in ninety-one, ninety-two, 92, and he worked with me until his passing.
0: Got it. Okay. Which was in
1: 1990
3: and I got a question. We talked about we talked about we talked about how how Bob thought that there was a bit of a downfall in Warner Brothers, but let's talk about DC and Gold Key and falling into Whitman. Yeah. Did he ever did he ever see that there was sort of a slope with, with um, the goat with the comic books too? Because um, with Dell and Gold Key and then you go to Whitman, there was a bit of a, a stretch.
0: You mean in quality? Is yeah. that what you're referring to? Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. Uh, Tom, again, was a perfectionist, so I'm quite sure uh, the whole thing did not make him very happy. Uh, you know, he, he would hand draw everything. He would do everything to perfection. Uh, so um, in those days, as things were going downhill quality-wise and... All of that, I'm quite sure did not make him very
0: happy. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question uh, as far as like other things. like I know that uh, in the 70s, there was a ton of hostess cake ads, like for Twinkies and cupcakes and stuff like that. And every uh, comic book company seemed to do their own. Like uh, DC did Superman ones and stuff like that. Archie did Archie ones. Okay. And... For Gold Key, before I think uh, somebody said no, there was a few Looney Tunes ones that came out in the mid '70s. Do you know if those were drawn by Tom or Charles? Or
1: you have no I, idea? I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, I know what you're
3: talking about, Mark.
0: Yeah, they're. Oh, you know who they're.
3: looks like he's high in the one where he's just he's just <laughs> sitting there with a cupcake. He's just like, yep, I'm just sitting there enjoying this.
0: I mean, I, I'm also a Harvey Comics fan, and it turned out that uh, Gold Key apparently hated those, or Warner Brothers is what it was. They were the ones that hated them, and so after a while, they'd get the ones, uh, they, they contacted Harvey Comics, and they did unique ones only for the Gold Key comics, because they didn't want them doing any more Looney Tunes ones. But I didn't know if McKimsons were involved or not, but apparently not. So <laughs> They clearly
3: must have hated how Bugs or someone looked, because... I mean, like they, I mean, like the Roadrunner talk, but that was an invention of Maltese, so, of Mike Maltese.
0: And then I wanted to talk a little bit about Charles as well, you know, and it's like, so uh, I read that he is in Tex Avery's unit when he was at at Warner Brothers back then. That's correct.
1: All all three of them actually were together in the late, probably 38, 39, 40, about time Tex left. All three of them worked there together.
0: Hmm. So is is there like any one cartoon or a few cartoons that they all three worked on that you know about?
1: Not that I know about. I've got a listing here, but you know they didn't credit things correctly in the early days, but there had to be.
0: Yeah. It just seems like it probably (laughs) amateur night or
3: something. I can just see it now. We're not going to, Celestine's just saying, we can't have free McKimskins on on one screen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then didn't he also, uh, before he left Warner Brothers, didn't he also join Robert in his unit for a while too?
1: Oh, yeah, he was, he came back after the war. He was in the Battle of New York City uh, doing animated, uh, you know, films for the Army, and then he came back in '46. And he was working as an animator for my father until 1953, when, uh, as we previously discussed, the studio was closed, and he went over to work with Tom.
0: Got it. And then um, I read he did, like, one more, like, foray into animation. He worked on Calvin and the Colonel. Is that correct? Yes, In the correct. Oh, okay. yes
1: he did that. Uh, he had left uh, what was Whitman or whatever at that particular time yeah. he went to- directed Calvin and the Colonel and then after that he went to Pacific Title, was doing titles and he opened his own company which was essentially him and he did titles and that type of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. But did he he didn't do the comic books all at the same time or anything? No, oh no. okay so he got completely out of it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I have a
3: question, did Tom or Chuck work on the other titles for it besides the Warner's character? Like did they do the Lance or the or the MGM or Disney titles
1: is i understand he they did i'm not too familiar with that since we were concentrating on the Warner brothers characters when i was with them
0: yeah I believe they probably did because if Pete Alvarado did, I'm sure they did, and uh, I, Tony Strobel sure. crossed the lines too, and things like that. So, <laughs> I think uh, was Chase Craig the editor over there at the time? Yeah. Was that the person? Yeah, you know, it's like, awesome. like it seemed like whoever was available, they said, "Hey, can you do this thing?" Sure, you know, I don't care if it's Looney Tunes or not, I'll do it. You
1: know, so so. It was Chase Craig and Al Stolper was mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm.
3: I got a quick question, by the way. You said that you mentioned the, the Bugs Bunny comic strip. And my question is, when they would when they would filter out those comic strips and, like, do you add them for, like, the one-page filler when they ran out of time to fill in something? and Like, you know those, Mark, you know what I'm talking about? Like, the sidelines where they'd be, like, on the side of a page, it'd be, like, a like a, like a downhill of a Bugs Bunny comic strip or, on like, the back, you know? Mm-hmm. Do they get paid for any of that? Do they get paid for any of the reprints of those? A oh, reprint? No. No. <laughs> Like they they just they just filter out the comic strips.
0: Well, it, well, if it was like all comic book companies at that time, yeah, they were paid once. And yeah. If, if if I don't know how Gold Key worked, but I know Harvey, they basically had it set up that if you signed uh, the check, you were signing away your rights. So. Yeah,
1: absolutely, same thing with Warner Brothers. My father signed away. Chuck Jones, all of them signed away their life.
0: Yeah. That's kind of a shame, but I mean, at least they're mem- remembered. It's not like it's all Jack Warner and hey, these are like a yeah. Fred why being... to, <laughs> I to,
3: That's why that's why you told the story, Mark, that Fred wanted you to buy Panther merchandise.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, let's see. I just wanted to mention a couple other characters that I just happen to love of your father's. That doesn't okay. they don't get too much credit, but they're some of my favorite cartoons. And I was wondering if you had any. Uh, information about them or knowledge. I mean, I don't know the names of these two characters. Um, Camden might know. He might know everything. It's, it, it's a cat and a bulldog. And um, basically, I you're about. yeah, one's like, called Early Tibet and the other's called It's Hummer Time. And they have like, like no, not, not happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> no, not the drain piper. No, not this. Uh, um, did, did either of those characters have a name, and, and did your dad ever talk about those characters? I mean, I love those two cartoons, but there's only two of them. It's really weird. Yeah, well, I, yeah
3: but the cat was also used in that one Foghorn-Leghorn one, where it's kind of like oh, the same true. premise. That's true. Where they, like, they're like trying to find a worm.
1: Yeah, uh, I this early to bad, that was a clever character. It, it was a one-off, but father never talked about it at all. And never really talked about anything.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I was wondering if there was like a, a, a way to introduce another cat so he didn't have to use Sylvester or something. I mean, it didn't quite did work. With, or, yeah,
3: you know? like, it seems to me like that, and then we talked about earlier, Dodgeworth, it seems to me that those could have been Sylvester because Sylvester was strange because, I mean, all three directors used Sylvester mm-hmm. even though they didn't have to. Like, they had to use Bugs, they had to use Elmer, but they didn't have to use Sylvester. But, which is, it seems like they they might have been meant for Sylvester.
0: Well, I guess my question is, were they required as a director to use a particular character? I mean, I'm sure everybody loved using Bugs, but if they're like, I don't want to use fill-in-the-blank character, do I have to? Did they, did they have any uh, pushback or anything like that or give any pushback?
1: Is yes, I understand that you had to do so many cartoons a year of certain characters, bugs or God knows what. And then you could use your own character. Like my father, Tasmanian Devil, nobody else used that. Foghorn, nobody else used that. On the other hand, Frizz had Yosemite Sam, nobody else used that. Right. Chuck had Road Runner, and that, it was that type of thing but I don't know in those cartoons where, where they all utilize the characters which ones they had to use or didn't have to use I, I never heard or were they
0: forbidden to use it like if if your dad wanted to use say well he did later on to Patty Freeling but like no. Roadrunner or something you know was it no that. this is he didn't, mine he didn't hands off the line
1: those were characters that were strictly belonging to by Father or uh, Frizz, uh, so you didn't cross the line. Okay, I so they to... all
0: respected each other's yeah, characters, correct. except for maybe kind of Bugs right. and a couple others. That so. no, was an yeah. unsaid
1: thing. But, mm-hmm.
3: That's why I said Sylvester was the only character that was not like, you know, the like that the, they were required to do. It seemed that even Davis used Sylvester and he had that, like, you know, Mark, that catches his can with the Bing Crosby and Sylvester sounds like a complete moron.
0: Yeah. Well, it also seems like that. You know, it's like whenever each director took a character, they made it their own. Like there's Sylvester's like a real scaredy cat chicken in some of the Chuck Jones ones mm-hmm. where he, with your dad, he always had like Sylvester Jr. or something yes. like that. Uh, and then, uh Frizzes had Tweety in them and things like that yeah. so there's always a different take on it for each director.
1: Yeah I think my father created Sylvester Jr. to go with Sylvester obviously so he didn't have to use him alone so he could pair the two. So I think each of them used uh, the character in their own way. Right.
0: And then one, one other character I like and in most people don't even talk about this one but i do i like it he only appeared in two cartoons also uh one was called bonanza bunny and the other one was called wet hair and it's a villain called black check shellac <laughs> and uh, was this his attempt to try to do a yosemite sam or something without using yosemite sam or uh do you, what's your take on that
1: I, I, that one I really don't know I can't comment on it
0: <laughs> I know it's pretty obscure but I mean it kind of stood out with me because it appeared I think there's a much better one.
3: attempt at Sam than Chuck Jones' Colonel Shuffle is right because <laughs> that is just clear Sam mm-hmm. it's just yeah. clear Sam
0: with a southern accent Right, right and a bad one too and then um, the other question I had is, you know, there's a lot of one-shots. Now they may not all have been planned to be one-shots, but there are quite a few one-shot cartoons. I mean, we mentioned the obvious one, one, one Froggy Evening. You know, no. with the Michigan Frog never appeared anywhere else till many years later. Um, now he's exploited. Did did did, did, did your dad uh, <laughs> enjoy doing those type of cartoons more because they're more creative? Or you I know one like Ham and a Roll. I mean, it's pretty a much a whole, even the whole idea. Grew, even though it had Goofy Gophers, it was pretty much the dog character. Uh, the whole idea. I was, I was
1: saying the whole idea
0: was okay, my, that's my
1: father's yeah. creation. He mm-hmm. animated the entire film. That's true. And he wanted to do something different. So, yes, in many cases, they set out to do something different. And that was one of his different ones.
3: Mm-hmm. Didn't you tell me that that was your father's favorite
1: too? It was one of his absolute favorites because he created the character, the characters, and he animated the entire film himself. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that was when the studio was closed and he didn't have any animators. So he figured he might as well do it himself.
0: <laughs> that reminds me of something. And I think I put it in my book, uh, that, uh, somewhere along the line, did your dad get hit on the head or something, and it actually made him a better, faster animator or something? Or is that
1: the no? Problem? The story goes, and my father related it to me. 1932, he had an automobile accident, and okay. which he had a head injury, and after that, he could animate twice as fast, and <laughs> he could visualize things and. It was unlike anybody else, and any other animator could do. He could top them all. So, yes, it is a true story.
0: Okay, so he overall he was a fast animator, I guess, especially very very fast.
1: I mean, he never never traced. He once he drew it, it was done. Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess his only rival would be somebody like Ub Works over at Disney, you know, for doing a whole cartoon by himself, you know.
1: He you know, did a few cartoons, uh, mostly by himself, during... The
0: most oddball, I think, of all of them, the two most oddball
3: one-shots is, actually, you know, the most oddball one, I don't think your dad directed this one, was Norman Normal. I think that was the... Uh, but the most oddball, I think, of the one-shots, I think, is that your dad directed, I think, is Bartholomew versus The Wheel.
1: Oh, yes, yes. <laughs>
3: I, that I made no that. sense to me. I saw that on TV, I'm like, <laughs> what is this?
1: I don't. I can't comment on that one. I, I know about it, but I can't comment on
0: it. <laughs> now, um, obviously, we're t- talking about working in animation and comic books and stuff like that. What did your dad and your uncles do outside of the studio? What did they do in their leisure time for fun?
1: Okay, to begin with, from 1932 to 1942, my father played polo. And he played polo a lot with the Disney team, and in the beginning, my uncle Tom played with him. And later on, my uncle Tom got into horse jumping and that type of thing until the war, and of course that ended all of that. My father, after that, played a little golf. He loved to bowl, and of course that's where he met Art Leonardi. Mm-hmm. And he bowled till the day he died, practically. Wow. But those were really his other activities. But he always was working from home on different projects, especially for Tom or Chuck, he would do things. Uh, so he was consummate worker. He was also uh, an oil painter. So he would do oils for people, for friends of his, should I say. And I, as I say, I've got two of them in my house. One of me when I was two and one of me when I was 21.
3: I have another point that you forgot to mention. When I interviewed you, I talked all about this. And I remember you also said that, obviously, the stu- whole studio did this, but square dancing.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, for a while, he did square dancing. This was during the 50s and probably <laughs> helped inspire Hillbilly Hair.
0: Was that, that was a uh, big okay, thing. You know, the <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> was square dancing. I'd forgotten
3: about that. Yes. In fact, I think your dad, and I know Chuck did, I think your dad did too, did, did, did um, covers for California Square Dancing Magazine.
1: They could very well have. I know what? Chuck
3: did, and I think your dad did too, and I think Frizz did. Mm. Oh, really?
1: Now, now, you said
0: he did uh, uh, paintings like that. Um, were they. Uh, straight like did they resemble like a Norman Rockwell or something like that what did they look like
1: no uh I'm sitting here in my office I got a lot of them he uh studied under a master for 10 years uh and so during the mid 30s he did a lot of character studies of models in charcoal he liked to work in pencil and charcoal so I've got several of those And then, as I say, later on, he did a lot of oil paintings for myself, my sister, and uh, Mm -hmm. other friends. And then he did also pastels during the war Mm -hmm. of storybook dolls. Mm -hmm. So I've got three of those in the house. But he could paint or he could uh, create art in any medium. Mm -hmm. And uh, he knew every bone in the human body. Is that picture of, is the in that article that
3: Mike Barrier's interview, is that picture of the painting? That's in that
1: Yeah, I was about to ask. Yeah, that was me, and it currently hangs in my house. (laughs) Very cool.
0: All right. Um, Let's see. I don't have any more questions, but, I mean, I always like to give people a chance to kind of, promote their wares and plug their books and everything like that. I mean, I already I already mentioned it a couple times and I'll hold it up again. I say, uh, I say. So uh, tell me a little bit about this and how, how, how long did it take to, to get this book together?
1: took me about three years. Wow. Uh, I got in touch eventually with Santa Monica Press and I gave him an outline. Of course, he didn't like it. We had to change it around. And then everything was done electronically. I would write out a couple of pages, send them him. They sent me back through critique. It took, as I say, three years to get it ready for press. Uh, So it was a labor of love and I got to do a lot of research on the family. And, And that's pretty much how it came about. And I talked to several people. I talked to Art Leonardi, and uh, did a lot of research to come up with uh, everything in that book. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult getting any of the artwork
0: for the book? I mean, obviously, model sheets are probably pretty easy, but was there some difficult pieces to find for it? No,
1: because I had a lot of it. At that time. I've since sold a good part of my collection, which I've been selling for thirty years. Cool. I had well over a thousand pieces at one time uh so getting the uh the works was not a problem and the publisher was able to get a lot and uh so not a problem at all and warner yeah. brothers gave me some
0: yeah and of course getting clearances was no problem i guess No problem.
1: <laughs> uh, you probably noticed in the book that my father was animation director for the don Knotts movie uh was the was Limpet. The- yeah. yeah mr limpett and they and you'll see some of this the pictures in there of uh, Let's see if I can find one here the animation and I, think I, I have a
3: th- quick quote point to something that I just learned the other day so your father someone told me this the other day someone told me this so your father not only worked at the very your father not only worked <laughs> from the start to finish from warner Brothers he worked at Warner Brothers before there was a Warner Brothers because, okay. because Romer Gray, when he worked at the Romer Gray, Romer Gray was supposed to be Warner Brothers' first distributed studio.
1: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, Romer, you know, my uncle Tom and my father worked for Romer Gray before they went over to Harmonizing. And. Uh, that, Mark, I, I think I'm right about that.
3: Cause I think I read somewhere that. Romer Gray's Binko the Cub was supposed to be the first distributed Warner Brothers star. Well, really, I did not know that. And then Romer got hooked on yachting or something like that. That's what Mark Hauser told the story, that he got hooked on boats and kind of like left and didn't show up. then never came back, <laughs> Literally,
1: Apparently, he I had a lot of girlfriends or whatever, and... Uh... His mother was funding the project. And got fed up with him, so that was
0: <laughs> the end of that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to be running out of time again, according to the clock up there, huh? So uh, let's have Bob kind of plug. How? What projects are you working on? How can people get in touch with you? All sorts of good stuff. Okay.
1: Uh, I am working with Cricket Gallery out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We are working in two sections one we're going to be creating art uh, dedicated uh, to my father and then we're also doing the original comic book art that we have from tom we're going to be marketing that we're going to be doing shows all over the country so anybody that wants to should sign up for the Cricketgallery.com, sign up for their newsletter it will give them current, uh, how we're what we're doing and how we're going to do it. Uh, as you know, or may not know, Cricket is the largest long-lasting animation gallery left in this country, and there's not many of them left to begin <laughs> with. Uh, so we're going to be doing a lot of things to promote the family. This is an exclusive arrangement with my- Will, you, will my you
3: be daughter. there at like a gallery showing? Because Atlanta is only an hour drive from here. Oh,
1: where do you live?
3: I live in Birmingham. It's about a I two live in away.
1: Birmingham, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going to be, uh, uh, just sign up. And I will be there almost all the time. I don't know if you know Michael Holbrich, uh, but he's he and his wife own the gallery. And he and I are going to be doing these shows. He wants to do them all over the country.
0: Very cool. You think we will get up to Oregon?
1: <laughs> well, not to Portland. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Outside of there, yeah. Well, what actually, I'm in it? Springfield, so I'm a little south of Portland. But
1: anyway, <laughs> yeah. no, only kidding. Uh, no, I uh, hope we are, and uh, okay. we really want to promote it. We've got oh, probably over a hundred comic books, uh, all the original art for well over a hundred comic books to market, They were all hand done by Tom.
3: So, but when will this be? Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how, I don't have a car. So I'm trying to figure out right now how, and like on the, over the air, I'm trying to figure out who's going to drive me there and how can I force them to do it? <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm it? serious. <laughs> how
1: far is Birmingham? Did you about say? About a
3: two hour drive, about a two hour drive with traffic.
1: Oh, really? That's not bad. I didn't know it was that close. <laughs> hmm. yeah, so it's going to be exciting times, All right. and uh, he wants to promote the family as well as I do. Okay. So we're going to be out there doing it.
0: And, and who's your partner's name? You said it was uh, well, Tom's It's son. my cousin,
1: Tom's son. Tim McKimson.
0: Tim, okay. Yeah, you Uh, didn't mention his first name, so uh, we're going to get a little uh, name for (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, he uh, lives out in Northern California. Oh, okay. And uh, we talk all the time, and we're getting this thing ready. So now that things are calming down, we're going to be able to start moving ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, even if you don't make it up to Oregon, I get down to California. Since things are opening up, I can travel back again. Or if you're up in Washington, I can go up there pretty easily, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is. You're not that far from Seattle.
0: Yeah, so that's like five hours from here, so it's no big deal. five hours. I didn't
1: think it was that far, anyway. I've been up there in years, Uh, but good. Yeah, so we're very excited about the new plans, and uh, I think it's going to be very successful, and we're looking forward to uh, getting out there and promoting not only the family, but animation and animation art.
0: Very cool. Okay, Camden, did you have any last thing to plug before we go?
3: I just wanted to show this. This is another limited edition I got the same day.
1: Oh, yeah. That That was taken from an original drawing done by father. (laughs) And I've got the original drawing in here in in my hall. I've got (laughs) the original Bugs Bunny 1943 that you've seen in the book. Yeah.
0: Is that the one where he's, like, leaning against the tree eating the carrot? That one. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) They use
1: that everywhere. Like, Mark, you have those comic books
3: where they were using it to sell, um, they were using it to sell, um, like, you know, they were using it in, like, comic book form, too, in the backs covers. Right. And they said, like, original drawing, and I think, like, Ken Harris drew the, like, replacement drawings for them.
2: Right.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, there's nothing else. I just wanted to show that.
0: Okay, very good. All right. Well, I wanted to thank both of you for being on the show. Camden, keep bringing me some good guests. Uh, I will be Robert, back with Amber soon all right, very to present cool. her full documentary.
1: Thank you so much, and uh, look forward to hopefully meeting you both soon. Thank,
0: thank you very you. much, Robert, and I uh, thank you both for being on the Fun Ideas podcast today. Thank me you. Too. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Camden Spees and Robert McKimson, Jr., for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 121 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Sillazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.